0: This is Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast. A podcast for people that want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today we're talking to Ron Surgeon. He's from Memphis, Tennessee. And he's going to share about his vision for No Place Left
1: in Memphis. Raised in Memphis, I grew up mostly in the inner city came to faith at a young age. Well, I made a profession of faith at a young age. My mom taught me about Jesus and everything. And she taught my brothers and I in the gospel. And when I became a teenager, I basically abandoned all of that and turned my back on uh, Jesus. Um, but I had so much scripture in my heart that I memorized. And so I kind of pursued a lifestyle of... Um, Um, drugs and alcohol abuse and gambling. And one day I was at a billet's place and verses that I memorized began to resurface in my soul. One was from John chapter 14 and it said, The one who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who does not love me will not keep my commandments. And I realized for the first time in my life that I did not love God. Not from his perspective, from mine's I thought I did and um, I was convicted by that but I wasn't changed and I knew the gospel but it had no substantial impact on my life and later the Lord came to me in a, in, in a dream and really gave me an ultimatum to follow him or else and uh, from that I abandoned my way for his I put my confidence in him uh, I embraced the truth that I knew concerning Jesus' love uh, for mankind, his love for me uh, his sacrificial death and his resurrection and him reigning over all creation now and uh, I began to involve myself in Christian community at that time I had dropped out of college I went back to school to complete my degree and then um, there was a college ministry there and this college ministry collaborated with other colleges uh, in the area and uh, but it was under the the, the, tutor, the, lead, the leadership of this man named Roy Campbell. Roy Campbell has a reputation for making disciples within my city. He has a vision for the world. He's trained up a lot of um, young guys and older people. And um, he had a secretary working for him at that moment. And she texted me about a conference where he was teaching and a man named Herb Hodges. And I, at that time... Um, Couple of years had passed, and so at that time I had been sharing the gospel. I've been sharing my story, but my Christianity was limited to church attendance and sermon listening. And I knew that God had more planned for me than that. Um, I knew what He saved me from, but I didn't know what He saved me for. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so she said, "Would you please come to this conference? It's going to change your life." I said, "I'm tired of conferences. I'm not going to another conference." And she begged me over and over again. She called me. She texted me. And uh, after her thousands try, uh, I gave in. I said I would I would join her for this conference. So I met up with Soup, which is Roy's nickname, and joined him and his discipler at a conference in Mississippi on a campground. Many colleges had gathered together. Well, not many, actually two. And they taught about the Great Commission and what Jesus saved us for. And they began to talk about their exploits nationally and internationally. After that, I said, Man, I want to go wherever you're going. And then he invited me into his life. And he said, Well, he began by asking this question. He said, What are you doing Tuesday morning at 5 a.m.? And I was going to school full time, working full time, but I wanted what he had. And then he invited me into his life. And so I began to spend time with him. After about a year, I thought I was being discipled. I really wasn't. I was just in a classroom setting in which discipleship was taught, world vision was taught, high accountability. And um, I led my first guy to, to Christ during that time. This was like 2006. Uh, but he was nothing more than this guy that I led to Christ, than a notch on my belt. Uh, he was a trophy for me. Um, I didn't really didn't love him. I was just glad, glad that God gave me a disciple mm-hmm. that I had somebody to train, to invest in. Um, but after that year was up, uh, let me go back. There were several guys meeting with a soup at this time. Maybe a group of 30 men meeting in his home. But when the year began to come to a close, that group diminished greatly. It was approximately eight of us left. And I was one among the eight. And he said, these are my faithful guys. And those were the guys who got a chance to experience what it was like to, to um, be poured into and to have truth invested in their lives in the context of relationship. And so that's when I began to experience what it was like to be disciple. 2007 rolled around. It took me on my first trip overseas in Honduras. Um, I got a chance to see what it was like for him to um, confess sin, what his relationship with his wife and kids was like. How he handled handled business, um, the way he spent his time with the Lord, how he invested in other men. Other men. So it was life on life, uh, truth in the context relationship, and he had a vision for the world. And so since then, I've been doing with others what he had done with me. And uh, in 2012, I was exposed to what we call the T4T process during the trip in Peru.
0: Okay. And the t for t the, the sort of way of making disciples and multiplying churches, mm-hmm. that's, I guess it's <clears throat> the key, the key resources, uh, Yinkai,
1: Steve Smith's book. <clears throat> uh, so what sort of impact did that have on you? It was a tremendous impact. I began to read the book. Well, first, the guy who gave it to me said, this is yours, this is my investment in your life. And at the time, I was kind of prideful. I really thought I had this corner on discipleship, disciple-making. Because I've been all over the world and seen a lot of things happen. So I took it and just put it on the shelf. You know, what people usually do with books. And I I end up, um, I dreamed that I was reading it. It was crazy. So what I did was I picked it up and began reading it. And uh, I've never been so challenged, so encouraged. And I never had a book in my hand that held out a process for making disciples that was so practical. And that was the limit of my vision at the time. It wasn't church planting, which is what I'm involved in now, but it was just multiplying and making disciples. So what did you do with uh, what you learned? Um, I just began just gaining as much information as I possibly could, uh, altering my paradigm. I ended up meeting this man named Zach and we did some training overseas in Honduras again came back he invited me to this conference uh, where Steve Smith and Kai were we end up leading our first family to Christ there and when i returned at to the, the states conference. they sent you out at the conference yeah. and you you saw a whole family come to Christ yeah yes so coming back to the states i end up developing a team i called them the dream team and we began to set spiritual goals this was like September when I gathered the team. And the, our goal was to see 150 people come to know Christ by December and, it's, and to see 15 new training groups emerge by December. So from September 2012 to December, uh, there was the goal. We did not see 150 people um, come to Christ, but we saw 43 oh. and 13 new training groups emerge from that. So that was the first time um, that I began to set spiritual goals. And so that launched me into the next year. And those 43, they've come to Christ, but
0: you're also, you or others that you've trained are ensuring that they go on in discipleship. You're giving them sort of foundations.
1: Absolutely. Not just notches on the belt. Right. Not just notches on the belt anymore. Uh, and. That was over after I had really got just experienced what it was like to be a disciple. Uh, but this team, we, we met on a consistent basis in in a home, and we began to just write out these goals for the year uh, from September to December. and they all had a vision for uh, multiplying disciples. Uh, they had deep love for people and for the lost. They had a way to invest in those that came, who came to faith in Jesus. And so um, it was a real nurturing environment for those who come to believe. Okay, and now was that in partnership with your local church, or was it just a group of people that came together? Just a group of people in my life that I knew who um, had a heart to make disciples, and but we had no strategy, no no process. Okay, so you trained them, but you also
0: said you were now training other groups or other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: did you say thirteen? Yeah, we had thirteen training groups that emerged. Uh, from between September and December, 2012. Okay. So what happened after December, 2012? After that, I spent the month, January in, in Africa. We were in Burkina Faso, Niger, and Ghana. So after that month, came back in February, uh, spent several weeks resting and just asking God, um, Lord what's the dream for 2013 You're like, well, what can we do and so at this time I began to do reading and I started finding out about uh, what it means to be a strategy coordinator and having an envision and those kinds of ideas begin to circle up in my heart um, I found um, I had four pre-existing believers groups of pre-existing believers ask me to come and train them so I took the process and began to invest in them uh, but I also had this medical doctor who was asking, asking me to train him too, and uh, and I, had, I told him no at the beginning, and it's just because I had so much going on at the present time, because I've ended up training multiple groups throughout the week, and so the goal was to see fifty groups emerge by December, and to see fifty discipleship groups of new believers. Yes, emerge within a year. Within a year. Yeah. Um, by December, to see two groups get into their fourth generation. What do you mean by fourth generation? Um, so, tr- I was trained a pre-existing believer who would lead somebody else to faith, who would lead somebody else to faith, who would lead somebody else to faith. Okay. And so on and so forth. Um,
0: and but these are not just individuals, but groups, fourth generation
1: groups? Fourth generation groups. And what happened, we end up seeing not only groups, but whole households end up coming to faith in Christ. Um, And we also end up seeing, like, new believers end up training pre-existing believers. Um, So it was a a messy situation. Um, But we end up seeing, uh, we've transitioned from eight groups, from four groups to eight, from eight to 32, from 32 to 50 in 12 weeks.
0: So you reached the goal for, for 12 months within 12 weeks.
1: Within 12 weeks. So take the rest of the year off, have a holiday? No, we didn't, t- didn't take the year off um, and have a holiday, but we continued training. Uh, we continue mobilizing um, pre-existing believers within our network and also within the city. And I started training um, a medical doctor at the U- Methodist University downtown. And so I would go into the hospital, during the lunchtime, he would bring in doctors, come in, and also students, and we would train and mobilize them. And so through them, we end up seeing hundreds of people come to faith in Jesus. At at the university? Through through um, the university. It's a hospital, actually. Yeah. It's, not a, it's not a college. Okay, mm-hmm. so are these patients that are coming to Christ? Patients coming to faith in Christ, family members. Staff? Mm-hmm. Staff. Uh-huh. Um, we had a house church planted through that. Yeah. So this
0: is really taking off, and, and what sort of got you started just in terms of, you, you know, you, you read a book, but then you got some training, Yeah. and is somebody, I mean, are you just, are you, we would say, I don't know if you have this saying, you're flying by the seat of your pants. Yes. Um, is there somebody that you're reporting into, are you getting some
1: input here, or are you just making, I mean, you're just having a go. Yep, just having a go, flying by the, by the seat of my pants, reading books, re- reading all the the PDF files that was on the thumb drive that they gave us at the conference. Okay. Um, and scanning the internet. And um, I end up bumping into the name Bruce Carl- Carlton and uh, end up emailing him and emailing his wife. And he ended up sending me this book on, a uh, book called Acts 29 manual, took that manual, started learning about prayer walking, and start learning about um, praying over the strongholds within the city, and also developing an end vision. And he used um, the book of Nehemiah to teach a person how to do that. And so that that kind of pushed me forward as I was failing forward. And, and then, not only that, having a teammate, um, Zach Metlock, who... Uh, we had we had different stuff going on, mm-hmm. but we continued to encourage each other. And so so you, you formed a partnership with Zach.
0: Yeah, You know you've got you might have uh, separate fields that you're involved in. Mm-hmm. You you've got someone to bounce ideas off and yeah, and and get some support. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so at this time, I'm a part of a institutional church, um, but all the impact that. We're seeing wasn't happening through that church at all, it was happening through just networks of people within the city. Okay, and is that still the case, or did some of these things impact your local church? Um, None of those things directly impacted the local church. We also had a lot of groups dissolve, yeah, Uh, people follow, people stop practicing the process, yeah, so a lot of dysfunction and. Going it was crazy. So you had yeah. plenty of life, but mm-hmm.
0: you also had some 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 challenges and, and setbacks Yeah, there. yeah. Okay. Simultaneously. <laughs> yeah.
1: So what happened next? So we finished out that year, got invited to what we call a mid level trainers retreat. And so guys who are seeing multiplication happen in the in in their context were invited to this conference. And um, I got a chance to spend time with some of the pra- top practitioners around the world. Okay, who, who were they? Um, Ink, Inkai, Steve Smith, um, Bill Smith, um, Fred Campbell was there. I met him for the first time. And Jeff, Jeff, Jeff Sundell. Sundell. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. And what impact did that, that mid-level training have on you?
1: For the first time... I was I was challenged on field four and within the four fields training process. Okay, so what's field one? Field one is having an entry strategy, how to engage the loss. How to engage. What's field two? Field two is reproducible gospel presentation. Okay. Field three? Field three is the training process. As in sort of foundational
0: discipleship. Mm -hmm. Reproducing discipleship. Okay. Field four? Reproducing churches. Okay. So how to move a a group of new disciples Mm -hmm. and help them form
1: church. Yes. Yeah?
0: In a way that it's possible for that church to reproduce more disciples and more churches. Absolutely. So what what did that look like for you when you went Mm -hmm. back to apply what you've learned? In the mid-level training, what 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 difference did
1: it make? A huge difference. Even in field one, field one changed for for us coming back to because prior to uh, the mid-level trainers retreat in December, all of our impact was coming through the orcas. So we create. You mean by the orcas? So we create lists of people in our lives who are far from God, okay. whether family, friends, coworkers, neighbors. Uh, just creating descriptions of people who you come in contact with that y- you don't know where they stand with the Lord. So we created lists of those people. So people in your relational world. Yes. Yeah. And uh, that was that was the means by which we were seeing people come to know Jesus. So you're
0: getting new disciples to sit down and brainstorm who, what relational worlds am I in, mm-hmm. and then how can I intentionally
1: share their story or share the gospel or with yes. those people? Yes, and at the time we were mobilizing new disciples and pre-existing believers. Okay. Um, so those who were who were saved, we would mobilize them, and those who were far from God, we would go out and engage them with the gospel. Mm. So we were doing both at the same time. Um, but being at the mid-level trainers retreat, we we heard about many who were engaging the lost. And weren't seeing much impact through the orcops list, but through houses of peace. What's a house of peace? A house of peace is a person who has invited you into their home and 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 have allowed their home to be a place by which the gospel could take root. Okay, so it's coming off that Luke 10 idea where Jesus sends the disciples
0: out. Mm -hmm. Look for a responsive house. A responsive person who welcomes you, welcomes the message. Mm -hmm. And that's your base? Yes.
1: Okay. And so we were taught that it shouldn't be an either or, but a both and. And, But we were only focusing on one aspect of engaging
0: the laws. Okay, so you were focusing on your relational networks Mm -hmm. rather than with the house of peace idea. That's when God gets you into a... Unreached or a relational world that you don't yet have a contact
1: with, right? Through a person mm-hmm. peace. peace. right? So okay. finding the people that we don't know who are far from God, yeah. yeah. So that changed uh, dramatic, dramatically. So we Do, began, give us an
0: example of what that looked like.
1: Um, and so we, I began to train the same uh, Barb and Ray. This is another part of the story because they're part of my church planting team. Um, Train them and several others we would go out and go find a house in peace. And so in the training I taught them like what to say what not to say. Um, and so we would we did what we learned from Fred Campbell. we started using breakfast burritos. We got some breakfast burritos from Chick-fil-A and put them in bags and we would go knock on the doors and we would just say, hey, we are here in the community showing our love for the community and we also want to, we also want to know is there anything in your life that you need prayer for? So you knocked on the door, and these are typically, they like, apartments or just... Yeah, apartments, neighborhoods. Okay. Uh, no exceptions, no exemptions. Was a, a, a Saturday morning or something, or... Yeah, we did Saturday mornings, we did afternoons, late afternoons, we did nighttime. But you're not going to give them a breakfast burrito at night, are you? No, because we've done cookies. We've done okay, cookies. Yeah. Any yeah. excuse, knock on the door. Yeah.
0: We just want to show some love, mm-hmm. and then what was the follow-up question was... Is
1: there anything in your life that you need prayer for? Okay. Yeah. And, and so, What did
0: that look like?
1: What sort of response um, did you get? I mean, people would, like, spill their guts, you, know? okay. you know? And they would tell us, like, what's wrong what's wrong with them and what they need prayer for. Um, we had, uh, just not too long ago, we had a family, um, Marcus and Karima. And so, the people that are trained, they go to Karima's house, knock on the door, and she answers the door... And they say, hi, my name is Bart. Uh, the other guy says, my name is Ray. We're in the community, showing our love for the community. And we just want to know, is there anything in your life that we could be praying for? And so um, Karima t- um, told them, she's like, um, thank you for, for the gift. She said, but my head is hurting really bad. And I just really can't talk right now. And they said, well, can we pray for that now? And they prayed for her right then and there. And her headache went away instantly. And she so invited them into the house. They sat down with her. They shared their story with her. They shared the Luke 7 story. and The woman who wept at Jesus' feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Yep. And um, I taught them to say, like, when we draw the, we use the bridge as our reproducible gospel presentation. And the way we usually present that is we want to show you a picture of what it looks like to be close to God. Okay. And so we got a piece of paper, walked her through it. She abandoned her ways for Christ's ways, put her confidence in Him. They asked if they could continue to come back. She says, "Yes. Would you please come back next week and share with my husband?" So they didn't immediately share, her, teach her um, how to share, but they shared with the, um They came back the next week, shared with the husband Marcus. He abandoned his ways for Christ's ways, put his confidence in Him, and so wow. yeah, it just happened just like that. And so they began to meet up at that home and train them. But Barbara and Ray were also hosting. Uh, a training in another home um, just a, not too far away from where Marcus and Karima lives and in this home is um, a lady named Brandy her husband Anthony and their five kids and their whole family had come to faith in Christ and that house had become like a training hub neighbors came um, they led Brandy to Christ and Brandy ended up leading Sharnice to Christ which was her neighbor who stayed upstairs um Brandy's husband Anthony had like diabetes, so he had a sore on his leg that would not heal. Mm -hmm. So they did, they prayed for him and everything, and so um, at the end of the gathering, I'm sitting here on the couch with them because I was like monitoring the group to see how can we help the group get to the next generation. So I just sit there and watch and, and not say anything, but just let the facilitator take care of everything. And so at the end, um, Barbara's taking down prayer requests. And so Brandon says, put my husband's name on the list. and Because it seems like everything that we pray for comes to pass. Everything that we put on this list and pray for comes to pass. And I could have jumped out of my body hearing that. You know, it's just amazing to see how God's working in this community. And so Barb says, let's introduce your husband to Antonio. Antonio lives about maybe seven houses, seven apartments down. Mm. Antonio had chemicals splashed in his eyes on his job. He prayed for him and God healed his sight. And so this is another household. He and his wife came to faith in Jesus. And so this is, this is how we just go out and find houses of peace. And that's just the multiple impact that happened through uh, basically one event.
0: So you want to be sharing in their home Discipling. When you say training, you mean training for discipleship. And mm-hmm. so they're reaching out as well. They're learning how to follow Jesus. Yeah. You want to do it in their home? Yes. Why is that?
1: Um, so that we want to raise up indigenous leadership. We want people to take responsibility for the communities where they exist. And we also want to plant gospel-centered reproducing churches. Okay. So this is the the
0: idea of the household of peace. Mm-hmm. That you're already seeing them. As workers, as, and you're seeing their home as a base, out of which you know a, this is a springboard, so that a, a new community of believers can can, can begin in that neighborhood. Yeah, be right there in their home.
1: Yes. Wow. And where are you up to now with all of this? Um, so we have to backtrack a little. Mm-hmm. Uh, so coming back from that mid-level trainers retreat, being challenged on in the field for. To uh, not just have groups, but to have reproducing churches. Um, That that set the trajectory for 2014. So being on staff, I want to sit down with the church staff. So you're on
0: church staff by now? Yes. Okay, so you're doing this as, is it part of your job description to be out in the community doing this sort of work? Or is this something you just do on the side?
1: Uh, It's not something that I do on the side, but it's basically something that they've given me the freedom to do. Okay. Um the staff told me we want to get behind you and resource you for whatever God puts on your heart to do. So the church is a base and and and
0: they see you as an extension of their ministry into the community.
1: Absolutely. But
0: they don't want you to be back at the base just being a pastor. You yeah, know, want you in the community. Yes,
1: they've given me that freedom. Okay. Um but I'm still a part of the um, the traditional church and still functioning as an elder there. Okay. Um, so I walked them through what we call the four fields and walked them through group facilitation, um, which is the three thirds process. And they renamed the three thirds for, and called it the missional lit- liturgy okay. and began to use that, uh, as a model for facilitating the missional communities, which are an extension of the traditional church. Okay,
0: so just to translate that for people, <laughs> the three thirds are sort of like we're, we're checking in. How are we doing? We're doing some, some simple worship. Uh, have, have we followed through on what we to apply and obey what we learned last time? Mm-hmm. That's the first third. Second third is some, some new learning. Uh, third third is we're going to practice what we've just mm-hmm. learned and, and set goals to go out and, and apply it. Mm-hmm. Um, in in reaching out to others, yes, and so that's become a part of the the life of the
1: the groups within the existing church. Yes, so they're learning to do this now, right? Okay. Yeah. And so as I begin to walk them through um, on the four fields, I tell them, I say, I have a plan um, to reproduce churches, and this is on the trajectory I would like to go in um, for 2014 and. And, and on and so on and forever. <laughs> and um, they was like, okay, well, show it to us. And we sat down in Panera Bread, which is like a coffee shop to sell good food, and uh, pulled out a piece of paper, explained what it would look like to engage the lost, how we would engage them with the gospel now story, uh, what to do if people just gave us a halt on embracing Jesus. Um, So there would be the using the DBS discovery Bible study and how we would train them within these homes and what it would look like to get them healthy so they can reproduce that process all over again. And um, they asked particular questions that I had answers for um, concerning the process, concerning these um, homes that will function as churches. And they gave me the two thumbs up.
0: Okay. So you've, You've demonstrated this out in the field, mm-hmm. and then you've sat down with the leaders at at the church that you're on staff with, mm-hmm. and they've, they've said, "Yeah, go mm-hmm. do this." Are mm-hmm. they also saying, "Hey, we we,
1: we want to do this too"? No, that hasn't that hasn't okay. happened. <laughs> that hasn't happened. But uh, for the most part, our staff is kingdom minded, and uh, they really want to see the, the city engaged and. They're like, man, we have an apostolic guy on the staff. Let's launch him out to do what guys put on his heart to do.
0: So there's a there's a strong partnership between a local church, and they're also experiencing some of the things you're you're doing out in the community. Mm-hmm. They're doing some of the training. Yeah. But they're releasing you and and the team that you're building to go to go reach
1: reach your city. Yeah. And um, so I. I extracted the team from the missional communities Uh, for the most part. I roved around to particular missional communities, did a simple training, people who were obedient to the things that they learned, I extracted them and formed them together to become my church planting team.
0: Okay. And the church obviously gave you permission to do that. Yes. So here are the people who are ready to go do this stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to release them and release you to to fuel church planting movements throughout yes. our city. Yes. And where are you at with it now? What, what,
1: what, what Where have you come to? Right now we have, um, in sync with Zach, who is my co-partner, we have 18, 18 churches. But from the team, um, 14 churches through the church planting team, we have two churches in their second generation, 37 second generation disciples, and about six third generation disciples okay so that's where we are in a matter of from march to october
0: okay so roughly six months mm-hmm. okay and where do you want where,
1: where are you trusting god for this to go i'm trusting god for to, god for it to go to the 1.4 million people uh, within, the, within the within the metro within the metro memphis area okay we want to see a no place left um impact right and
0: What's it going to take for you to get there? I mean, is this is this going to be what you and the team do, mm. or are you also training and mobilizing people across the city?
1: Yeah, and so the way we want to go about that, uh, uh, as a team, and also as a traditional church, to leverage our Sunday gatherings for the purpose of mobilization to uh, reach the city through the mission of communities uh, through. Uh, church planting, new churches, also the mobilization of the existing churches. Well,
0: thank you very much. Ron. Thanks, man. Actually, is there any young lady?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Stop me <man. laughs>